0: How can the Trinity have three persons if there is only one true God? In this video, we're going to discuss the first article of faith in the Church of the Nazarene.
1: Welcome to Kingdom of the Lagos, a Christian program um, created by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow.
0: And I'm Pastor Jay Dylan Proctor. And I'm Anthony Alegria So in this video, we are going to be talking about the Trinity. And again, it's one of those things where it's made up of three... Insert theologically correct noun that doesn't get people upset and calling you a heretic. It has these three persons. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit coming together to make up the Trinity. And that is a bit of an unusual concept if you're not understand, under, familiar and you don't understand the logic behind it. And so we do need to spend some time getting into this and really understanding what happens here. So we're going to start spending some time now as we go through the articles of faith. And the first one is on this very concept, the concept of the triune God. So let's go ahead and read this article and then we'll take apart some language and we'll see how things go. Amanda, would you like to read this first article for us? All
1: right. So the article of faith uh, number one says, We believe in one eternally existent, infinite God, sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe, that he only is God, holy in nature, attributes and purpose. The God who is holy, love and light is triune in essential being revealed as Father, Son and Holy Spirit.
0: All right. So what this is, is in the Church of the Nazarene, we have a little book called The Manual. And no, it is not the Bible. Just (laughs) to throw that out there for, for people who might be curious. There is a manual which really outlines both how the church government is set up, but also what is established as orthodoxy and not. And one of the things we have in there is the church constitution, which is made up of a series of articles of faith. They have a logical procession They open up with this idea of the triune God. It goes through things like the role of scripture. It talks about salvation, things like atonement, and ultimately sanctification. And then what it's like living in the kingdom and the things we can expect in the world around us. We're going to be going through this series, but this first one we have here is on the triune God. Now, there's some interesting language that we have in this. And let's just take this a little bit phrase by phrase. Amanda just read through the entire thing. And it opens up by saying, we believe in one eternal existent, infinite God. Now, Amanda, this is something which seems strange. People have a lot of time struggling with what it means for God to be infinite, especially when it comes to the concept of free will. Because for many people, they'll say, well, if God is infinite, how can people still have free will? Couldn't God know what people are thinking, what they're about to do? But at the same time, as I look at this, it seems to me almost that that God's ability to create is limited if everything he creates is just a puppet. It's not something which is actually capable of being a sovereign. Amanda, walk us through this first phrase a little bit.
1: All right. Well, I think particularly some of the points you're making, especially when it comes to infinite, um, we also have to start with first, I think, saying that anything where we do theology, it is a conversation not only amongst uh, theologians, but it's a conversation with God. And we do confess Um, kind of uh, with uh, the man who asked Jesus to heal his son, I believe help my unbelief. So every finite word we say, uh, we also admit that it is limited um, and fall short of an infinite God. So we have to kind of start there. But then as we progress, um, I think some people kind of respond to one comment you talked about, about, you know, if God is truly infinite and all powerful and all knowing, then does that, you know, kind of limit free will? Well, not really, uh, because just because God may know what you're about to do doesn't mean God made you do that. Um, And then also I think sometimes God, even though God exists beyond time, all of time exists within the life of God, um, God does journey with God's people. Um, And so it's not that God's surprised when we do weird things, but that God allows those weird things to happen. Um, So there's tension in that conversation. And again, these are finite words describing an indescribable God.
0: Yeah, they are finite words describing an indescribable God, but also the concept of free will really is important. Um, you see things like the movie *The Shack*, uh, where people go and they they kind of get a visual representation of what it would be like to walk and interact with God. But even the theologians, if we can call them that, the writers behind this movie, they had they struggled with this concept of the infinite God, and you could see it with the movie because. When the, the main character, he asks the Holy Spirit uh, there, he says, you know, do you know what I'm going to say before I say it? And she kind of fumbles around. And it's interesting because in this movie, every time they get asked a serious question, it's almost like the microphone is muffled. <laughs> it's like they're like, you Don't really get a clear answer. You've got to kind of replay it and like turn on the subtitles to figure out what they say. But the Holy Spirit answers like, yes, but I want to hear you say it anyway. Which it's not really a good answer for that in in my humble opinion because it kind of – diminishes, it doesn't ever answer the question of whether or not people have free will. Um, It just kind of toys with it and says, we're filling in our plot hole in our movie and we're moving along. But to Amanda's point, there's this idea that God knows you. And I think a lot of times we we want to put that in a a simple term like, I might build something like this watch that I I put together and I have a a pretty good understanding of how everything worked on it. You know, I, I made the CAD file, I sat down and 3D printed it out. It's what I do with my spare time. This is why I stay up late at night. I don't have any kids, so I just have to work on this till 2 a.m. When we put something like that together, you you know all of it's intricate things. But yet at the same time, I'm under no disillusion that this is an autonomous, sovereign being that has free will. I, I am not able to give life to it. I can restore a mechanical item or even create new mechanical items, but I'm not able to actually breathe life into things. And when God knows his creation... God is breathing life into it. And one of the things which is about God's infinite ability that we really can't emulate is God creates things that they themselves can go along and co-create. And I'm going to pitch this back to Amanda because this is really one of the aspects of being infinite about God that I feel like a lot of people don't spend a lot of time thinking about, that God would create beings that they themselves, they don't just play with the toy vacuums that children get, but they actually get the real thing. They can go out and co-create and walk with God
1: yeah um and this is something that's i think very unique to the the christian um jewish faith this is what's unique to to yahweh um in in the sense of like if we were to compare to to other ideas and ideologies of different gods um is that this god does not hoard life right all other gods um create All other gods sustain life just for their own pleasure for their own preservation or to fight other gods or to be better than other gods and yet this god simply creates um and there's this idea then that the power is shared but it's not uh, some of this language is kind of weird trying to use but there's empowerment that happens now without a doubt the creation does not become the creator but they do create but only because they are empowered by the creator. Um, and this is this is a good tension that all Christianity I think should have. Um, and this is like, we, we can see these veins of thoughts going into how we talk about salvation and even into entire sanctification. Um, and if you're a good Wesleyan or Arminian, it, it comes to language that we are justified, we are made righteous um, and we are truly righteous. We are truly entirely sanctified, not within our own power, but only because of Christ, and yet that entire sanctification, that redemption, that righteousness is actually ours. And so we see that and it starts because we believe the creator of the universe, God, uh, empowers us to also help create, even though we cannot do it. Like you said, like, I mean, we see this in, in human being, something just as um, normal as uh, parents who give birth to children. They create life, and yet that life did not start really with them. Uh, it started with God.
0: But it is. A real thing. And that's the thing, one thing that sets apart the sort of Wesleyan and Arminian line of thinking is that stuff like sanctification, it can be real. Yeah. It's not just something which is is cute, fun little play on words that someone wrote down. It's actually a real thing that we can enjoy in life. We can pursue sanctification. Christ likeness is real. And there is a good amount of tension there. I'm glad Amanda used that word because we can be critical thinkers around here. I mean, the whole tagline for our program is a a place of uh, critical thinking and adventure. And there is a great adventure and holiness, but there's also a great amount of critical thinking. There is tension between the fact that God has created us with his infinite ability, but also we can go and we can create things ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that God created us and we went back in time and then (laughs) reinvented God and sort of this strange... illogical circle going on, but what it does mean is that God created us, we're very complex beings, and we have free will, which is a complex thing in and of itself. It means we get to choose between things that are fundamentally different, not just petty little things of no moral value. God created us, and there is tension between the logic of saying God creates and God has infinite, and the fact that we ourselves, we have free will and we can be active, but yet we are still under God. Let's move on to this next phrase. The next phrase says that God is a sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe. Now, one of the things I've been talking a lot about lately is idolatry. Idolatry is everywhere. People make idols out of everything. And one of the things which is weird about idols is you don't actually have to like your idol for it to be your idol. You don't have to be conscious of it. There are a lot of people who make idols out of everything. And just to give you a definition of idolatry, and I've been using it a lot, whatever you get moral instruction from, that is your God. There are a lot of people who look around the world and they say, this or this is how I view. Some people do politics, people do identity, people do their own sins. People put a lot of stuff that's at the top of their moral compass and that's the lens they threw the the world through. People make idols out of things that they hate. People make idols out of things that they love. People make idols out of things they're completely unaware of. They just sort of subconsciously construct their belief system and they say, well, this is how I see the world. But one of the things that all idols get wrong is that they are not truly capable of being the sustainer and creator that God is. And we see so many people who they say, oh my gosh, it would be like a God if you had so much power. We actually have a clip. One of the unholy things of of the world, we see one of the many villains on TV making themselves out like they're a God. We're going to show a, a reference to you from the CW's The Flash. It's actually... Not a bad series, I like a lot of things about The Flash, but one of the villains, so this is a bit of a spoiler alert, in the TV show The Flash, one of the villains in season four, DeVoe, he fashions himself to be a god, and he compares himself to the true god of the universe, but something is missing. We're going to play this clip and then we'll figure out if he's totally depraved or not.
2: said let that be light. and that ends with one very very obvious reference to genesis
0: yeah so one of the things you see happening is this this villain Devo, and again spoilers he sucks up a bunch of other superheroes powers and he kind of gathers them all and he thinks he's the ultimate being and now for a lot of people, they would look and see like, oh my gosh, he has become a god. He He's like a god. And you even see this with the concept of superheroes. They they kind of get to the point where they're like, we're gods. We're something to look up to. But they are missing something. Amanda, if we're looking at this clip of DeVoe in Unholiness Today and we had to answer whether he's totally depraved or actually divine with all that power, how do we answer that? What is, what's going on here?
1: Well, and I think... Um... As we look at this, yeah, and and we kind of go back in history, and this is not kind of something that's unique to the Flash. It's not unique to modern times and trying to evaluate what is a god. I mean, we see this at the very beginning, really, where uh, God calls Abraham um, to partner with him in his redemptive and and um, acts of blessing in the world. And the world just keeps battling on what does it mean to be a god and how do we view gods. And it's really interesting then that we see this, what, what is the difference. So what makes Devoe a god or actually in this case not a god even with all that power. And that's because for all of his power, um, for all of his intelligence, for all of his conniving and manipulation, um, he's missing the ability I think really of mercy, of compassion, but it is the ability to create. Um, obviously he is a villain. And um, so all he is capable of is, is destruction.
0: Yeah, he can destroy, and he can take a lot of stuff, and he has an enormous amount of power. But if you'll notice in that clip, he's never doing anything that actually gives and creates new life. It never is actually creating anything which is new. And even a lot of times when people think they're creating things new, it's basically just the world repeating itself. It's uh, The world is in a... a Almost seemingly in a cycle of of immoral behavior ever since the fall, but yet that's why Christ goes to die on the cross so we can have an alternative to that. Sanctification can be real in your life should should one answer the call of Christ. But going back to this character devote, he is capable of having a lot of power. He's capable of having this ability to destroy, and it's like no one can touch him. But even though he can do all of this enormous amount of evil, he is not capable of being a sustainer and a giver of life. And even if he were to do anything that would take away the suffering of the world, which is what he claims he wants to do, he can only do that by controlling the minds of everyone, by, by taking away everyone's free will, by by doing away with the ability to actually have a world where people are, are living, thinking beings. So that's one of the shortcomings that, that all false gods really have. Let's go a little bit further into this article. So the next thing that we see here is this statement that he only is God holy in nature attributes and purpose now this is where the concept of holiness comes in and I'm just going to let Amanda respond to this this statement here
1: well as we kind of been talking about one of the kind of the simplest answers um, that I have heard to what is holiness is it means to be different now this is not different for different sake and this is not to be different kind of in a very modern or it, it, kind of early 20s uh, You know young people they're like oh, I just want to be different that's not what I'm saying um, This is really uniqueness And again we look at how the rest Of the world had organized itself um, we look at all the other origin stories of, of or creation stories. Sorry, we're talking about superheroes. Uh, we look at all other creation stories and, and stories of the flood and other things. And we see these common denominators throughout all these religions and philosophies and you know things that are divine. And yet what makes this God, Yahweh, the God of, of Israel, of Abraham, of Jacob, of Isaac, uh, of you know, Moses, uh, Peter and Paul, this kind of God acts differently. And so that's when we say holy. But what does that mean? What? How do we unpack that? Is this is a God, again, a God that blesses, that creates, and that sustains life. That we're, as um, in Genesis, it talks about, He, you know, his form hovering over uh, the void. That there's chaos in the world, and yet this God is interested in creating order. That life may uh, begin, and then that life may continue. And no other God does this. And this is what makes... This God holy. This is what makes this God different. And then that God then calls people to partner, and then to become holy, truly holy, not appear holy, not seem holy, but to be holy. And that through their holy acts, the world can be made holy.
0: All right. Well, let's go back to Genesis. You made that reference there, and we we saw where that villain he wanted to fashion himself. And Amanda's been talking about how setting himself out. I want us to compare what is different about when God in Genesis says let there be light versus when a villain like Devoe says that. So the book of Genesis opens up with this statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. All right. What you see happening is the world is a place Of nothing. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. It is a chaotic void of seemingly endless dark waters. That is the image you get there in Genesis 2, or 1-2, verse 2. And God, it's quite clear that God does not see this as being good. Only once light comes, only once life comes, only once meaning, purpose, and order, once there's organization given to creation, once the cosmos has the laws of physics brought to it, once there's something to give it purpose, will it be good? When God sees this chaos, he sees that that is not good. That's sort of the implication there. You you see a lot of times in Genesis that God saying that is good. Obviously, that means the things which are absence, that void there, that is not good. That's not something which is, is that transcendental good. You see someone like Devoe, and you see a lot of the idols. You see a lot of the th- people in the world who look to great power, and they say, well, that would make me like a God if I had all that power. But the thing is, is those forces of power are really only capable of taking people back to the void when they are separated from God. When your moral compass isn't oriented around God, when you do like DeVoe and you want to make yourself out to be a God, and you even seen in that clip, he just makes the world a place of form voidless chaos. Even the laws of physics are broken down because, well, that's what supervillains do. <laughs> that's sort of their thing. But, but really, there's this idea that God is different because of that. And on this idea of god being different let's talk about what it means for the trinity and again you've got to insert your theologically correct <laughs> noun there because people get really mad if you if you use any synonyms even though it's a really hard thing for people to understand they people are legitimately trying to work through this and then mm-hmm. it's sort of like the hammer gets dropped on it's like you use the wrong noun you will be exterminated and all sorts of crazy things go you get sent to to hell where the devil will make you try to make slides on adobe <laughs> spark that that's sort of your um, punishment.
1: Eternal punishment.
0: But anyways, let's talk about how the God, the master of the universe, the one who spoke creation into existence can actually have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be revealed to humanity. Let's talk about how that's even possible. Because for many people who are unfamiliar with the logic behind the Trinity, they say, well doesn't that sound polytheistic? Like preacher, we're supposed to be one God, but now we're talking three. So are we polytheistic, monotheistic? And then you get people who, who become heretics and they start to try to write them out and be like, well, maybe Jesus isn't really God. Maybe he's just chosen to be God's son. All this stuff comes out and it's all a bunch of garbage. Um, the Trinity is a single Godhead and it actually can make sense. And one of the reasons that I <clears throat> I want us to compare this to the concept of God being different from other gods is I actually think if we compare God to the polytheistic system we can find some moral certainty here because whenever you get there actually being multiple gods you get different morality things aren't uniform at all there's no logic like if you you go to ancient Egypt and you have the the gods like Set and Osiris and we've actually got some pictures of Set and Osiris battling it out instead of getting a unified moral code and a unified set of physics that everybody gets to live by like when God spoke creation, you get all sorts of crazy dharma. Like you get these two brothers who are gods and, you know, Set, he's the one that kind of has a, a jackalish dog-like head. He's really jealous of his brother, so his brother's the one ruling, so he conspires and gets him tricked into a box. that's really a coffin. He throws him out in the Nile and then he goes and digs him up out of the Nile and chops him up. And then Osiris's wife, Isis, she comes and, and pulls his body up and resurrects him and then gets pregnant and has a kid. That's basically what polytheistic worldviews look like.
1: Chaos.
0: (laughs) Chaos. And there's no universal moral code. Like if you hear the the tale of of Set and Osiris, the Egyptians gods fighting out with one another, and you hear how one of them conspires with the queen to to put a box together and, and trick him into the box, you know, that doesn't actually tell you how to live. It doesn't give you anything which is abstractable. It doesn't help you out in the sufferings of life. When you hear about how there's one sort of deity, this one this Isis, she can resurrect her husband for a little while to, to get pregnant, you're like, well, that, that doesn't help me out. That doesn't do anything for me as an individual. And that's what you get with polytheism. That's what you get. Again, you look at the Roman gods, you look anywhere when there's multiple gods, there is no universal morality. There's not a universal logic for how the universe works, but with the Trinity. You do find unified morality, unified logic. Again, what God the Father reveals is not going to be different than what God the Son reveals. What is moral by the Holy Spirit is not going to be deemed immoral by Jesus. Like that's that's not how it works. They they are all on the same page. They they all come together because they are unified. There is a single logic, there's a single word to go back to that word logos, again, a whole name is Kingdom of the Lagos the The word of God, which gives order to creation, there's there's one order to creation. Amanda, I'll let you send some comments back on this.
1: Yeah, um, and I and I think also when we see this kind of backtracking a little bit, um, when we talk about the Spirit of God moving over the void and the waters and things like that, I think we have to be careful that it's not that the waters or the void were coexistent with God. Um, it, only the Trinity is coexistent. Everything else. Um, is subsequent to the life of the trinity Um, and and the reason i kind of bring that up is we are not dualist as christians there's not an entity that is equal to um, or as powerful to the triune god um, it was merely, in our, again, our finite language trying to explain something that is infinite. The ancient Hebrews, as they are telling the story and retelling the story of creation, then as it's finally getting written down, they have to use some kind of language to explain the nothingness. And so they talk about waters. And again, if you understand the story of the Hebrews crossing um, the the Red uh, the, the Red Sea, and then later the jo- Jordan River, and all these different things that are happening, waters for them is the symbol of nothingness of chaos of life taking and that god is this um is the creator and sustainer of life and so that's the only point the reason i bring that up is then as we look at these other polytheistic religions and really any other religion and we see this battle this conflict that's happening for power for morality for who do we follow and really in these ancient religions we're also seeing a way of explaining the bad things that are happening in the world and yet what Yahweh offers is not a way really of explaining the bad things, but how can we be transformed out of chaos and into life? So we no longer have to say, oh, I guess it didn't rain today because um, Osiris and uh, Set or whoever are fighting each other. We can say, okay, it didn't rain, but God is a God of provision that will still provide a way for us um, to live, to survive. So it's, it's really taking a very different approach to life. And it is because our God is holy and it comes because there's a unified um, morality within our God. And we see this in the gospels. I mean, almost every time Jesus talks about his mission, he's like, it's not really mine, uniquely mine. It is the father's. I have no power on my own because the father has sent me because I am powered by the Holy Spirit. And it's not that then the son becomes subservient to the father. That would also be a different heresy. Um, but
2: Which
0: At some point in time, we can go through all the heresies (laughs) if we need to, because you would think that these heresies go away, but they don't.
1: I know, and they come back in in different ways and different explanations. They get modernized every now and then, rebranded. But no, it's saying what Jesus is confessing, what Jesus is proclaiming in these messages, is that there is a trinity that is happening. And even, really, because the word trinity doesn't get developed until like the third second or third century three hundreds, 400 something in there but they every even long before that everyone knows that there are three persons one God they just don't know how to explain it um yes Anthony
2: I will say um, to your point there was for instance, the Nicene Creed was one of the first um, just general universal Christian creeds that explicitly said that all three are one in the same God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And um, one of the biggest places of disagreements while they were making the creed was whether or not to use the phrase hamaousios or hamoiousios, which just means the difference between same substance or similar substance. And I think that's a good way to look at trying to understand the triune God, how these three persons can be the same one true God, is that in essential nature in all the qualities of their characteristics they're one and the same in their abilities they're one and the same they're yeah, the same substance it
0: is the same it's not substance. similar yeah. and even before the nicene creed i mean if you look to scripture the reason why the gospel of john opens up with this beautiful 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 language saying in the beginning was the word and it goes on to say christ is the word is it's trying to combat People in the time when that that gospel was recorded, there were people going around and saying, Well, Jesus, he only existed once Mary and Joseph got together. He was only chosen to be God's son. And he was only special there for a little while. And again, the worldview that produces this kind of thinking is is usually never complete. But sort of the implications are is that Jesus does not have the same power as God the Father. And and there's the hanging question is well, does the salvation offered by him still matter if he was only elected for that duration of time? There's all kinds of by um, products of this sort of faulty logic. But we see things within scripture. Um, even in the epistles of John being told that you don't need someone special to, to teach you this sort of logic because it's being revealed to you. So this logic of the Trinity, it's been there. And even the people in the time of the very early church after Jesus goes to the cross and he is, dies and is resurrected and then ascends, there are people who are realizing this actually was God incarnate. And even when the early church, the Holy Spirit comes in full, which again, that's not the first time you see the work of the Holy Spirit, but they're starting to piece together. There is something about the Godhead, which while it may appear in three persons, and I'm sure there were some some people there in the the first century who rolled their eyes and they they kind of came around with a lot of fury and said, what noun did you use? (laughs) Um, But realistically, there are people who are realizing that there is something about this which has been revealed to us in a very interesting way. But at the same time, it's not the polytheism we're used to. It's not, it's not Zeus getting really mad and, and <laughs> having people come in and, and doing things to people who he should be friends with. It's not the, the Egyptian gods having crazy family feuds. It's not some people being resurrected and weird stuff happening. It's none of that. All of that is, is thrown out. And instead, you get a revelation of a very, very powerful God, the one who is able to speak creation into existence. And he wants to to be active in your life. He wants to give you meaning. And that's no easy thing. God wants to give you things to do. He wants to give you purpose. He wants to give you love. He wants to give you meaning. He wants to give you life. And any final thoughts before we wrap up our conversation on the Trinity?
1: I I think just... Again, for us to confess, um, to admit that this is very complicated and thousands of books have been written on it. A lot of theologians have gone to this conversation again and again and again. Um, and so it is difficult, I think, for us to conceptualize. But we we do, I think in some aspects, we do just kind of go, it's a mystery. It doesn't mean we don't try to learn and understand. But if we ever make a mistake, um, if we use the wrong noun, um, if we're not quite sure, we can still just keep going back to it in a sense, very much in a sense of prayer, um, even if, you know, we're not holding our, um, our hands or folding our hands or, or closing our eyes of trying to understand this. And um, as we continue, the next article, faith is the one on Jesus Christ, the, the son of God, God, the son. Um, some of that will continue to be fleshed out and we'll see that, the, the, again, the church will, will really battle with this and continue to battle with this. And it's okay for us to, to be uneasy, I think. I think sometimes we want resolution in, the, in these conversations. We're like, okay, I understand it perfectly. We're all good. We've written the paper. We got 100 on it. We can move on. We're never going to do that. And that's okay. I think we should be uneasy in this and just exploring who God is.
0: While we are uneasy in being able to articulate it, we do have moral certainty, that. Oh, yes. We can have absolute moral certainty that and we've got that picture there of uh, Seth ripping apart a, a person next to the Nile. You don't have to worry about, well, God the Father didn't give me what I wanted today, so I'm going to slip around and ask the Holy Spirit for it. <laughs> and, then, and then you're never going to end up looking like this because that is not how the triune Godhead works. It is not this thing with a split morality right. that fluctuates and is unreliable. It is something that you can depend on to be the same. It is something which is consistent and it gives meaning.
2: Anthony. Yeah, um, kind of to build off of what you were saying, I thought about this a minute ago, and the pagan gods, well, first of all, most of the time they can't even work together, which I think <laughs> is kind of funny. They they can't cooperate. No. But um, even if they were to cooperate, that's still not quite the same as the Trinity because the, the parts of the Trinity are not working together. They're actually working in unison, yeah. which is probably a better way for us to think about it in terms of, you know... Um, the nature of the Trinity. It's not different parts that are working together. It's all working the same. It's one work, Yeah. so. Well, we thank you for watching this. But well, we're not actually done yet. We, we've got a few <laughs> more things. So
0: we're, we're not totally done with the program. But we do thank you for joining us. And if you haven't noticed, we have like a totally new studio with new soundboard, new computer, um, new everything. And we actually have a guest chair now. We're hoping to have a guest on next week to talk about opioid addiction and stuff of that nature where we're hoping to really have some expense. If you would like to help us out, you can donate at patreon.com slash Kingdom of the Logos. That helps. Again, we're not gonna be like the 700 Club (laughs) who sit around and be like, well, all of these people give money to Kingdom of the Logos, and now the gospel is fulfilled. not gonna do anything like that. Um, But same time, one of the best things you can do is just share our content and send us feedback. Send us your thoughts, questions, and comments. We love to hear from people. And we're actually gonna be talking about some things which people have sent us this last week. Um, but now as we do wrap up this this one particular program we are going to go ahead and cut to another camera where Charlie the Church History Dog is back with us and he has a short message for you as we we end Oh no ladies and gentlemen it's Charlie Dog Dog wants you to think about what metric you use to measure moral good this will tell you what your God is There is only one true God who spoke creation into place, and that should be the center of your morality. Remember, like and share our content and subscribe to Kingdom of the Logos. Dog loves you, and most importantly, God loves you.